Welcome to Persons of Interest. I am your host, Derek Dockett. My guest in this episode has a very unique story of how one idea to solve a problem eventually led to him creating a business. Watching live sports on the internet wasn't always the norm, but John Cervisi was at the forefront of making it possible for teams and leagues to broadcast live sports content online. In this podcast, John shares how he wanted to solve a problem for Butler University, and that eventually led to the creation of the Horizon League Network, and in turn, led to him creating his own business of WebStream Sports. And his story doesn't stop there either. This is John Cervisi on Persons of Interest. What's your title now, now that you guys are Tupelo Raycom, by the way? Uh, Chief Technology Officer. Oh, that fits. Yeah, it's very, very, very official. Um, I, I, I think my business card should fold out though, because I'm also <laughs> a, a senior floor sweeper, um, do, doer of all things uh, that need to be done. I, yeah, I've never, I've never been a big titles guy, but uh, my boss likes CTO is my title, so that works. Nice, I like it. Well, John Cervisi, chief. chief technology officer, easy for me to say, web at Tupelo Raycom. But you you just said it right there. You sweep the floors. You've done it. I've seen you run camera before. I've seen you do replay when you guys have done events at the Valley. But my question is, how did it get started for you knowing that video production or live sports production was something that was of interest? And I guess let's start this. Was that always the thing that sort of you were interested in? Yeah. You know, I wasn't, um, I was a good student, you know, all the way back to high school, really all the way through, you know, school always came easy. Um, but I wasn't necessarily, uh, a, a motivated forward looking kind of student. I wasn't all that interested in college, to be honest. Really? Uh, I, I knew I was going to go, but I wasn't one of those people that, it looked, went out and looked at schools, thought, okay. you know, thought a lot about it. It didn't stress me out. Um, it was just, it just felt like what was going to happen after, after high school. So, um, one of my, uh, one of my teachers, former baseball coach, um, he was, he was a friend of the family, grew up in the same neighborhood, you know, the, the whole thing, there were a lot of connections. Um, he kind of got me started uh, on the TV side. He asked me to announce uh, play-by-play on a public access station uh, while I was a junior in high school. And uh, so I, I announced the football game um, as a junior and kind of fell in love with it. Um, I, I still have the tape somewhere. It was abysmal. <laughs> um, it, it, was, it was honestly, and, and even, people that, even people that saw it then, it was not good. Um, but it, it lit a fire and it was one of those things that once I did that, I had to be, um, doing TV and, and that was, and that was it. I mean, it was just kind of, I found it and it was something that I always wanted to do. The, the really interesting part is the guy that was in the truck, uh, producing for that first game that I ever did. Uh, Jake Jolivet is now one of Fox's, uh, lead producers, uh, he was actually the tape producer uh, for the for the number one NFL team with uh, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck and Aaron Andrews. Um, so he's a guy that, that's kind of gone gone really high level. 
um, the guy that keeps me humble because uh, no matter no matter how good I think I'm doing, Jake's still uh, Jake's still running laps around me. So nice. it's good. Nice. So you you do PA, and that's funny because I talked to Tom Ackerman here in St. Louis, who does KMOX, and he started the same way. He did PA at a high school football game and fell in love with broadcasting or and play-by-play and all that kind of thing there. So it's funny, you start the same way. Um, so what then leads into you having an interest behind the scenes? Or was it, did you, you said it was abysmal. Do you realize you didn't want to be in front of the camera? You wanted to be behind the camera? Well, what, what I realized pretty quickly, um, and, and this is, you know, I went on a college visit. Um, my parents took me to see a concert in Indianapolis and the, and the tag to that was, oh, we're also going to stop by this place called Butler, uh, that your guidance counselor says is a, is a good school for broadcasting. And I was like, yeah, fine. As long as I get to go to the concert. <laughs> um, really didn't have a, a whole lot of interest. And honestly, the, you know, the campus at Butler wasn't, I, I didn't feel it. You know, I, I was there and I was like, yeah, this is fine, whatever. Um, Butler had an old TV station uh, at, the, at the time that, that I was looking and um, forced to look, I guess. Uh, and it was off campus down at 28th in Illinois, you know, downtown Indianapolis, uh, 20 blocks from campus, basically. And it was a dump. And I got in there and I fell in love with that place because it was it was pretty clear that it was students that were doing the work. Yeah. And it was it was one of those programs that, you know, they were keeping a, a TV station on the air, you know, broadcasting 17 hours a day. And it was students that were doing, you know, all of it. You know, there's guidance professionally, but they were letting kids get on the air and make mistakes. And I loved it. Um, and so I, I was hooked. And, and at that point really didn't have much interest in Butler, but had so much interest in that particular program um, and didn't look anywhere else, didn't apply anywhere else, didn't, didn't do anything else. And from then on, it was, I was going to do this. Um, on the sports side, I got involved with the, the sports lab and producing Butler football and, and men's basketball, you know, right off the bat freshman year. And I realized I had a better shot of being the ball than I did at announcing and it was it was a the people that were good at that, the people that were even marginally good at that, ate, slept, drank sports. Yeah. I mean, they knew everything about everybody. They were talking sports constantly. And to this day, I'm still in the same boat. I'm not all that interested. I, I love sports. I love I love athletic ability. I but love watching people do what they you're do. You're not doing the deep dive. But I, but I could care less about yeah. stats. I could care less about this player versus that player. I learned what I need to know to, to be conversational. Um, you know, I can talk about some favorite players and things like that, but, but don't make me tell you anything about their stats because I have no idea. Um, but the, the guys that were good and the, and the ladies that were good at what they were doing, um, they were different. I mean, they were just completely different. And I, and I found that where I was on the TV side was more in the technology. That was what I got interested in. And I could speak that way about a beta deck, you know, and I wanted to take it apart and put it back together. And I wanted to see how this camera compared to that camera. And, and so they were comparing, you know, top running backs in the NFL. And I was comparing, you know, Sony's line versus Hitachi's line. And that was, that was kind of where I was. Um, so it, it made sense. Um, and, you know, I had a, just an unbelievable experience um, for, for four years there. And, and probably 
as much because Butler athletics had not risen to the level that Butler athletics has, you know, attained now. Sure. Um, we were the only people covering Butler men's basketball, you know, from 1996 to 2000 when, when I was there. And so, you know, you, you, you form some really interesting relationships with people as the only ones, you know, covering those teams. Um, Barry Collier, who's the athletic director at Butler, you know, I was student media covering Barry's teams when he was coaching. So, you know, kind of had some some interesting insights uh, into the into the program and into kind of right place, right time as well. So the opportunity was there, obviously, for coverage that that helps. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah. So from from my perspective, I had no idea. Like I was never I was an art graphic design art major in college and I had no idea that, you know, schools like Butler, Mizzou, Syracuse, that there are student led broadcast entities, journalism, where they throw you out there and like you said, make mistakes on the fly and you're on screen, you're doing all that work. For you as doing that as a college student, you said as a freshman, get out there and you're you're forced to make mistakes to figure out how to how to get better. That didn't deter you at all. Like that was and like you said, you were more in, enthralled in the technology side of it, but you were not afraid to see something break down in the middle of a shoot or in the middle of a of a of a uh, newscast or something or production, and then worry about it later. You know, get, getting thrown into it the way we did uh, in, in that program, I, it wasn't really. I didn't know that there was another way. You know, I I I've always kind of been one that, you know, I assume that everything's going to break. I I assume that you know, we're going to have a major technical hurdle on every single show I do. And, and that, that exists to this day, Yeah, you know, and, and I'm on, I'm on shows now that have, you know, six figure budgets and, you know, all of the, all of the finest people in the industry, you know, working on some of these shows and the, and the best truck vendors and the best, you know, the best of everything. And I still just assume that things aren't going to work. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're never disappointed. And in some ways I've always kind of been motivated by that moment when something doesn't work, I get as nervous to this day, regardless of what position I'm on, on a crew, even if I'm just the executive in charge, even if I'm just the, the empty suit running around, you know, looking important on, on a show, uh, I get as nervous the 10 seconds before we go on air as I did the first time. And, and, and I love that. I, I think it's great. So I, I can remember you telling me, at Butler, I guess when they got uh, upgraded video boards and things like that, that you were sort of on the scene there helping them integrate that technology. Uh, and that's that's you've have you graduated at that point? Are you at that point where you're sort of working in a production standpoint? What's what's your role at post uh, college uh, when when you're doing things before you start up with Webstream and Horizon League? So let me let me swing it back a little bit. OK. Um, Halfway through my my first year at Butler, and and I don't want we, we don't have to go. I'm not going to give you play by play on all. No, things. you're good. You're good. But but halfway through the first year, you know, a, a really kind of major thing happened. Um, both of my parents lost their jobs. Um, you know, kind of unfortunate circumstances for for both of them, and neither of them it was it their fault. They're downsized, and you know, they, things changed, and they then they both lost their jobs. So I walked into the department chair's office, a, a person that I had a, a great relationship with even first semester of freshman year and said, hey, Dr. Creech, you know, I'm not coming back. And, you know, I explained to him the situation and he said, no, 
He said, no, that's not acceptable. You'll be back. And, you know, he made he he made the phone calls that he needed to make. Um, my financial package changed magically. Uh, I, I still I still don't know, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I have no <laughs> idea who did that and how that happened. But, um, you know, Butler made it possible for me to stay. And Ken Creech specifically made it possible for me to stay. And so I, you know, I kind of from that moment. You know, I was going to I was going to work my tail off um, to to repay that debt. And so when I graduated, um, it was not much unlike uh, leaving high school and, and going to Butler in the first place. I just kind of assumed that the next thing was going to come. And I wasn't stressed out. I wasn't thinking about jobs. I wasn't I wasn't driven by that. I've never been a person that's driven by money. And so that that was never a that was never even a consideration for me. So I, you know, I had three jobs in the first 18 months out of school um, because nothing, nothing felt right. You know, I was working at I was working at TV stations. I worked at two TV stations um, doing production at one, then doing managing on air promotions and special events. And I started building the state, started working on the station's website. Uh, it was a Tribune station and Tribune cut all the local web uh, webmasters and our GM and my boss uh, both were like, you know, we need somebody locally to help manage this website. So again, timing, I knew a little bit about how the website worked. So I stepped in and helped on the website when that, when that person went away, um, still had no idea what I was really doing and then took a job at United States synchronized swimming. Um, and and not as a, not as a swimmer, right? No, thank God. (laughs) But you know, again, that same, that same piece, because I didn't care what the sport was. I respected those athletes tremendously. I mean, those women and and this guy named Bill May were absolutely incredible. I mean, they were, they were amazing at their craft. It was beautiful. They were athletic. It was wonderful. Respected the heck out of what they were doing but didn't really care. It was just another sport, you know, it's another thing to do. Um, but it kind of synthesized everything that I wanted to be doing. I was working on a magazine. I was managing their website and I was starting to do some, you know, a little bit of, uh, thinking about some production stuff for, them. and you know, what, what could we do? How does this all work? Um, and I got a call one day, uh, from Ken Creech, and that, that same department chair from Butler, you know, he's still he's still in that chair and he would be for a number of years uh, to, to the university's ultimate benefit. Um, and, you know, uh, Dr. Creech said, you know, John, we've we've had somebody leave, you know, very unexpectedly. It was September and, um, you know, we're, we're two weeks into the semester and I am at an absolute loss. And, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to, you know, to talk to you about it. And my response was. Well, sure. You know, let me, let me put some, let me put some thought into it. I'll, I'll think of some people that might be interested. You know, I'll make, I'll make some phone calls, whatever you need, I'll help. And he said, no, no, you're not getting this. He said, I want you to come back. And I was like, well, you know, I've been out for like a year, you know I mean? What, what could I possibly, you know, some of these people that, that are still in classes I was friends with, you know, how, how is that going to work? And he basically said, you know, trust me, you'll be great at this. This will be, this, this suits you. I'm telling you, you'll be really good at this. And I didn't, I didn't ask any questions. I, I, I don't, I don't think I knew how much money I was going to make. 
Um, I don't think I really knew what the job was going to be. Um, I, I knew that that was the guy that took care of me and I couldn't say no, I wouldn't say no, yeah. you know, it wasn't even, it wasn't even an option. So I went back to Butler, um, and wound up, you know, teaching and, and doing news and doing sports and helping students with their, with their productions. And, um, we, we eventually elected to sell the TV station. This was as, as HDTV, as digital television was, was kind of coming around. The university was never going to spend the money that it was going to take to keep that station on the air. But the license in Indianapolis was extremely valuable. And so, you know, the decision was made, I think a a really brilliant decision um, to go ahead and sell that paper and, you know, take that money and, and ensure that the university and that program would, would be able to continue, you know, well into the future. And so that decision was made. Well, now the athletic department is looking at it going, wait a second. And th- this is crazy to think about because this is Butler, you know, Butler now looks nothing like this, right, but right. the athletic department basically says, well, wait a second. What in the world are we going to do? You know, none of our, this is the only media covering our teams. This is going to be a major loss to our, to our efforts. You know, this is how we sell tickets. We put games on TV and they're seen in Indianapolis. And this is how we we remind people that we're here. And I remember at that moment saying, well, what if we stream them? What if we put them on the internet? And it was like, what? You know, and and I, I said, yeah, you know, we've got these crews. We've got these students that, that can do this. Why would we do anything different? We just continue to do what we've always done. And instead of TV, we'll put the production on the Internet. And it was like, yeah, OK, whatever, if, that, if that's what you think. And so we were working with um, it was called fans only at the time, which became CSTV, which became CBS Sports Network. So that's kind of the, yeah. the, the evolution of that. Um, and so we we started putting those games, started putting those games online, started doing them. And right around the time that um, we started doing that, probably the second or third game we did, I met uh, a guy at a suit at a basketball game. And if you've got a suit on at a basketball game, you're important. Um, I had no idea who the guy was, didn't care. Uh, he was a nice guy. He was incredibly interested in what we were doing. And, you know, he asked me by the end of our, by the end of our little conversation, you know, how much would this cost to do it on 10 campuses? I, I don't know. I threw out a number. It was roughly 10 times what I felt it would cost <laughs> to do it at Butler. And he said, done, call me on Monday. And I'm like, okay, well, first you're going to have to tell me who you are. He said, I'm John LeCrone. I'm the commissioner of the Horizon League. And this is what I want to do. This is what I want my TV to be moving forward. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so, you know, now I'm consulting for the Horizon League and trying to, in, in trying to launch a digital network. So that was all before, you know, anything happened as a, as a company before they decided yeah. to you know, drop a video board into, into the field house. But, okay. but, you know, all of that was kind of what, what kind of sets the stage. And within a couple of months of that conversation with John, I got a phone call from a, from a dear friend of mine uh, from college, uh, Greg Wiedekamp, who was at the NCAA as the director of broadcasting. 
And he said, you know, you're never going to believe this. I was just talking to a guy in New York and telling him about something we wanted to do. And he said that you're the expert in what we want to do. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know what I'm an expert in, but all right, sure. And it turns out that he was talking to the same guy that I was working with to deliver um, some of the Butler stuff um, about doing a Division Two and Division Three package for the NCAA. Um, and he wanted to basically do the same thing that John McCrone wanted to do at the Horizon League. And be- so before I knew it, I've got a company. And, you know, I, I, it's the softest landing in history. Um, there was not a single sleepless night. You know, there was not a single moment of trying to figure any of this out or how are we going to fund it or what, what's this leap? Who's the investor? None of that. I had a company, you know, it, it just kind of fall into my lap. Um, and then, you know, that that's where the fun starts. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me this, when you start doing live streaming of Butler games, the f- it didn't have to be the first time you did one. Just best best guess, best shot in the dark. What's the best case scenario of when you felt comfortable, the crew size, when you're doing a standard Butler basketball game back then? Were you using three cameras, two cameras at that time? When we, when we started, um, when we started, we were taking the, just to try it, to prove the concept, we were taking the feed from the coach's camera. Okay. And- and we were laying the radio announcers on top of it. Okay. And no graphics, no replay, no nothing. And we did that, I think, for two games. And it was it was just to prove the to prove the concept. And somebody on a message board saw it, you know, found it deep buried in the website, <laughs> um, and you know, outed us. And then suddenly it was like, oh, there's. 50 or 60 people that are, that are watching that, that are watching what we're doing. And, you know, before you know it, the, 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 the questions begin. Well, why can't we get the score on the screen? Okay, well, we'll do this. We can get the score on the screen. We got the score now. Where's the clock? And once you have the clock, well, now how about instant replay? I want to see that. I want to see that shot again. So it just, it just snowballed into, okay, now we've got to do, we're going to do a full show. Right. Um, and again, we had the crew. So it wasn't really a, it wasn't really that far of a cry or, 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 or long of a drive. It was just, I knew that's what I wanted to do. It was just how fast did we have to do it? Yeah. And, and John LaCrone at the Horizon League is now, you know, driving and saying, look, you know, all 10 of our schools are going to do this and they're going to be three camera shows and they will have the score on the screen and they will have the clock on the screen and, you know, and, and we'll build from there. Um, but to, to, take something like that and to basically just be given um, the support of the league. I mean, you know, John is not recognized for being the visionary that he was on, on that front um, because that was, there was no big 10 network at right, that point. Right. There were no other conferences doing that kind of streaming. Um, John said, look, you know, I'm spending all this money on TV and I don't even get a rating. I don't know if anybody's watching this. We're not able to really sell into it. I think his athletic directors thought he was insane when he when he brought it up. But I think his university presidents and chancellors looked at it and said, "Yeah, what the heck? You know, this is this is a this is pretty low risk." Yeah. Um, but he deserves he deserves a ton of credit because he he drove that forward. So I remember 
watching some Horizon League games, and they you used a platform called Ustream that had lot. You could literally like scroll back in time and it had a DVR feature built in and you built this out with 10 of them and it eventually became where you could click on you know, they horizon had a page and Butler Loyola Milwaukee and there could be five games on any given night and you click on one you'd see it and it's like all right I'm done with that one click on the other one you can see it and it was at that time it was mind blowing at that time, like because nobody else was doing that, and it's sort of well, like I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm wondering how do you even think about figuring it out that we can feed all these into one page because now we see YouTube and things like that, but at that time there's not a whole lot of video streaming and live streaming going on. Well, there, there was a, there was a couple of reasons for it. Um, number one, you know, and, and a lot of this is, is, a lot of this is driven by the conference. And, and so I, I'm not the, I, I'm not the intelligent one on that end of things. Um, but a lot of it, I think was driven by just the, the, the disparate number of web providers that the, that the schools had. So you wanted to keep all of the content under one roof. Right. You, you wanted exactly what you're talking about. You wanted somebody to watch the end of the UIC Loyola game and then go, oh, man, Butler's playing right state now. And you, you, you wanted to keep people you know, engaged and, and, and there. But the other side of it was, and, and this was something that, that we talked about, was you had to pit the institutions against each other in a, in a competitive way. Also get them to help each other and hold hands and, and get through things because there were a lot of challenges. There were a lot of things that those campus coordinators had to overcome. Um, but the idea was that if it became a point of pride for the, for the campuses, if it became an arms race, essentially without spending a ton of money. And if the, if the league continued to fund it, that it would get better and better. And we knew, I mean, I, I remember, remember John saying, you know, specifically, look, we're going to do men's and women's basketball. And before we get done with the third men's and women's basketball game, the volleyball coach is going to say, well, we play in the same gym. Why aren't our games on? And, you know, it, it was one of those things where it was, it was clear, it was immediate. And, you know, as soon as one coach got it, every coach on campus was going to want it. And so John really knew, um, what this thing was, what this thing was ultimately going to become. You just hit on something. I was going to ask my next question. So you, we think we've talked a lot about basketball here, but there's more than just basketball, volleyball inside. That's great. But the challenges that come with doing a sport that is outdoors. So we're talking about using the internet to do a live sports broadcast at this time, now we we can think nowadays. You go to a major league major league stadium uh, baseball game or an MLS soccer game where they've got these great stadiums and facilities. Well, not every college is built the same. Not every college has the same type of facilities. So when you talk about doing an outdoor sport where they may just have bleachers and a trailer set up on on, on something that's their press box, the infrastructure isn't the same. So the challenges with doing outdoor sports. How did you overcome those over time? Because I know from from my background, the Valley, that those were, you know, you draw something out of a hat, you get different than what you got left and right. Yeah. And those those were a challenge that really the NCAA forced us to to figure out Um, because the NCAA model was um, Mike Racy, who was the vice president of D2 and and Greg, you know, they really wanted um, to 
to showcase Division Two, um, and and that was what it was really born out of. So they wanted to do four football games every weekend, and that and that was where we launched. And you know, again, I don't know if it's if it's arrogance or ignorance or a combination of both. But you know, my attitude was, yeah, sure, we can do that. Um, Did you, you really? Know, and, you were that confident? Did you really know you could do it? <laughs> I, you know, I no. I mean, no, we, I, I didn't know we could do it. I knew that I knew the technology existed. I knew it could be done. Okay. Um, you know, new tech had, new tech had just released the TriCaster, you know, the, 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 the original, the 103 inputs, and we could do, you know, a, a 360 by 240, uh, little postage stamp sized <laughs> image. And, you know, the, the biggest thing we didn't really think about, oh, what if it rains? You know, because because you don't think about those kind. You you think that everything's going to be perfect weather, bright, sunny, wonderful, and you, you're you're optimizing for for that. And then you realize, oh goodness, we're going to have to figure out what happens if it rains. The hardest part, though, you know, 2006, 2007. You know, the hardest part back then is we don't have bandwidth at these places, right? You know, so we're we're making decisions, and the NCAA is making decisions based on what schools could promise that they could deliver bandwidth at the press box. And, and I mean, Derek, we're talking about, we're talking about, we needed 500 K. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're not talking to, we, we could do what we did in 2006. We could do on any cell phone of anybody listening right now. Yeah. I was going to say, and, <laughs> and, it, and it's, it's amazing. The, the, the bandwidth was just, you know, now we're talking to, you know, I had a conversation yesterday for, for an event that we're going to try and do that, you know, we, we're talking a gig of, of bandwidth. And I'm just kind of chuckling to myself thinking 14 years later, you know, I'm, I'm getting a gig. Yeah. Um, but, and, and their, and their attitude was basically, Oh yeah, of course we've got that. No problem. <laughs> it's, and it's funny. just, you know, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. That's funny. So, okay. going to jump into, so now you've got this company named Webstream product, Webstream sports. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden now you guys are not only doing just the Horizon League, but you've got the Missouri Valley Conference. You've got these other schools. I think you may have had the West Coast Conference. You guys are doing, you know, pre, post, live, special events. I mean, you know, media days. It was like it was exploding. Mm-hmm. You have from your background at Butler, the the students there that are coming into the career field like Hey, if someone's talented enough, you've got a pipeline there. Um, yep. The talented students at Ball State, I, I've seen a lot of their work and they continue to put out great work. So you're, you're starting to really pull in there. Did you have the, what was it the thought process to give those folks after graduation opportunity to get into career field or were you just looking to hire who you could or was it a, a conscious effort to get the college, you know, graduate, here's an opportunity? Well, you, you go to what you know, right? So when it was time to hire staff for me, when it when it became, you know, you 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 really need to not pay these people as as contractors. They really need to be staff people, and you know, you need you need more consistency, and you need to be able to rely on them. And the only way you can rely on someone and being there for you when you need them is to is to put them on payroll. Sure. Um, so that was a you know that was a leap. You know, we, we, we didn't, uh, we didn't have the money coming in necessarily to, to support the staff, but, uh, it was something that, that I felt I needed to do. I literally opened up my grade books from Butler 
you know, I, I had taught several classes um, at, at the end of my time there. And um, I, I just went down and said, you know what, these are the folks that were the most impressive to me. Um, and, and the, you know, of a list of, you know, eight or 10 that I thought were, these are the folks, my first five were yeses. Um, and you know, the, and the, the irony or not, not the irony, I guess the blessing is probably the right way to put it is that Adam Coppinger, John Fritz, David Harris were on that list and those guys are still with us. Um, so, you know, the first guy, first, first guys hired, um, in the company and, you know, the, and they've stuck all the way through, uh, and they're, they're absolutely leaders now in the company and, and, and driving the whole thing forward. But their credentials were not, you know, they didn't have resumes. I mean, for, for, uh, two of those guys, you know, this was their first job. Yeah. Um, I, I brought, you know, brought another guy, Dustin Stover, who I, who I adored as a student and was working at CNN in Atlanta. I called him and said, come home, I've got a job for you. Um, and, and he just, uh, he just left us, uh, you know, probably five years ago, uh, to, to do something more eight to five. He was, he's less of a sports fan than I am. So that, <laughs> that, made, that made perfect sense for him to, for him to head to the Hills. But, you know, Andrea Crawford, um, another another former student that's been with us for probably 10 years now. Um, you know, I, I, I mentioned to you before we before we started recording, Derek, that, you know, I, I'm not a person that I don't spend a, a whole lot of time looking back. I mean, right. it's, it's it's crazy to, to think backwards and, and, and to look that way and and think about the number of just perfect serendipitous kind of moments and, and <laughs> places where the ball bounced perfectly. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's two things. It's, it's incredible hard work. Um, it's, it's, you know, the, the wanting to do, to work hard and to push hard enough that the, that the work's going to speak for itself. Um, and, you know, we never sold, you know, we, we never had a sales team. We never went out and tried to sell somebody on the idea of what we were doing. We just did. And more people came. Right. Um, and then, and then the other side of that and the, and the ultimate extension of that is it's, it's absolutely been the staff, you know, the, the best decision I ever made was to get out of the way and let those folks drive and, you know, let, let them determine you know, Adam Coppinger is a much bigger sports fan than I am. He knows he has forgotten more than I know to this day uh, about sports. David Harris, John Fritz, same way. Andrea Crawford's a much bigger sports fan than I am. <laughs> um, and, you know, so so you get you get those people, you give them the keys, you get out of the way. And, you know, I, I took on took on a partner, uh, Rick, a guy named Rick Vanderweilen, uh, who had been um, who had been running a, a local sports station, uh, on cable and saw us as potential competition, uh, wealthy guy has had tremendous success in, in life. Um, and basically didn't want to fight with me. Uh, so he bought us, um, and you know, it, it, one of those things that, you know, you, you don't know where you're going to wind up, but you know, that if you get people around you that know what they're doing, and you trust them and you, and you have, you know, Rick and I have had more passionate arguments and have butted heads more times than I could possibly mention. 
But, I, you know, I'd say that 90 percent of those conversations resulted in us going in the absolute right direction and resulted in both of us being better for it. Yeah. I won't tell you how many times I won and how many times he won, because I don't think that's fair to him. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, it, it, it made us it made us better. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, the time came to um, to to grow again. And I went and got Greg. Uh, another great friend, uh, Jeremy Michaels, who's, uh, at the sec network now, you know, um, we, we had a heart to heart and, and the, the out, the outcome of that was you need to go hire Greg Wiedekamp from the NCAA. And he's like, you know, it's what you need in this business is somebody you can trust and somebody you can turn the reins over to, and you can focus on what you need to be doing. And I said, you know what, that's right. Why would I not have a person I've trusted my entire life in that role. Uh, and so Greg left, came from the NCAA and came over to, to Webstream. And I did what Rick told me would be the hardest thing that I've ever had to do. And in some ways it was, uh, I handed Greg the keys and said, it's your company, run it. And, you know, um, I'm sure we butted heads on things, um, not the same way that Rick and I would butt heads uh, by, by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, I let, I let Greg make decisions. I let Greg do the things that, that he felt needed to be done. And he made us a tremendously great company. Um, and, and that's really, that's really the secret of it is getting out of the way and trusting the people around you to do their job. I, I can adhere to that. Um, so I'm going to nerd out here a little bit and some people may not get all the, the technical stuff and I'm trying not to be too technical, but flashing back to when I first got at the Valley and I had no idea of, I went to Missouri state familiar with watching arch madness and all those kinds of things. But I'll admit I was not locked in on all the soccer and all the softball and all the baseball. Uh, and when I got there, it was like, okay, this is, you're this going to be this guy that's going to work with these folks. So whatever you need, you talk to them for these things. So I was like, all right. I remember going to my first championship, which was men's soccer 2010 in Peoria. And um, I had no idea what I needed or what I needed to ask for. I'm like, all right, well, we got this new website called Valley Live, and this is what we're streaming to. So what do you guys need me to do? Or well, we need the push points and we need this and we need that. I'm like, all right, I don't really know what that is. So I'm going to go email this guy that built our website and have him send them to you. <laughs> so I, I learned all about all this stuff that I thought I knew a little bit of, but it just sort of got ingrained in my head more and more and more. And before I got there, I, I, I did not pick up video in college. Video for me was something that was self-taught. And I thought I knew a little bit. I knew enough to be dangerous. But working with you guys and we, we were starting, you guys said, hey, if you need the footage, you know, we can get you a DVD, which, you know, at that time. Um, so I'm like, yeah, I'd love to do a highlight video and a highlight package and all this stuff. And I can now look over time from 2010 to now how my video editing and creativeness of, of doing video packages have gotten better. And I credit a lot of that because of what I was learning from you guys. I had no idea of, you know, just taking the clean feed versus the the game feed of highlights with the score bug laid over it, how it looks so much better just to have the clean feed with natural sound. I knew none of that stuff. I knew none of that stuff. Um, but it made me a better, uh, a better video person in the long run. And I got to learning all these different things. I say all that because 
over time, as you guys were doing all these events, and we got to the point where we're doing cross country. Like, I don't think there was a thought when I got there in 2010 that we would ever be video streaming cross country. And then you guys bring out a drone of all things, too. So over time, as technology has evolved and as things have changed, how have you managed to keep up with it? Because, like you said, at the time when you start with Horizon, there's no Big Ten Network. You know, there's no other college conferences that are doing their own things. And now people are doing this, they're figuring it out on their own, but how have you guys managed to sort of maintain and keep your, your thumb on the pulse of what's going on in technology and, and still be an innovator, but also make sure that, Hey, you're not only a resource, but you're something of value for folks that are not tapped into uh, the live streaming market or production market yet. Yeah. I, I think there's, I think there's two things there. Um, First of all, too many people are intimidated by technology. Oh, and, that drives me insane too. Even yeah, even in the even in the college space, it's it's something that you know it, it's it's difficult for some folks to wrap their head around. And and you you can tell somebody this is easy, but it's not easy. It's easy for you. It's easy for me. It it comes it comes naturally. I, I've always been a guy that could sit in front of a program have very little idea of what I'm supposed to be doing. And in 15 minutes, be working in the program. Figure it it's out. always just, yeah. it's always just come naturally. And, and I've come to understand that as a blessing that, that, you know, people don't always have, but the, the other side of that is I, I think people put too much on technology because the reality is no one cares, you know, no one outside of our little bubble cares how we got the signal from the drone back to the truck. Nobody outside of our little bubble cares how many thousands of feet of cable we had to run to do the first West Coast Conference cross country championship when Scott Lakeham asked me if I could do it. I told him he was insane. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I am insane. Get it, get on a plane and come out here and do it. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's no one cares. Yeah. No one cares about those things. They just want to watch and they just want to be entertained and they just want to be informed. And so if you start becoming the raccoon that just chases the shiny object, um, you're never going to get there. There's always going to be something new in technology. There's always going to be something better than what you have. And who cares? You've got what you have. So go use it. Um, you know, early on when we first started doing, when we first moved into doing linear television, you know, and, and actually doing shows, uh, on TV, not just online, not just streams, we did them the same way. Um, and, and, you know, that has kind of stuck with us. We're still not just doing whatever the big, the big trucks do. Um, I want ESPN I love the relationship with ESPN because they're incredible people. They're incredibly creative people. And the engineers at ESPN can solve any problem. Um, I, I still don't want us to be that technology driver. I just want us to make shows. And so I want to see what they do and where, where they arrive and then figure out how we can get there in one, in one fewer step figure out how we can get there with something slightly less expensive and, and get to something that looks 90% as good, right. 95% as good, because I'm still convinced that most people at home don't, don't know the difference. Care. 
yeah. about that difference Just in 95 to 100. And, and a lot of shows, you know, still, you know, to this day, even on the, even on the big budget shows, you know, I, I will tell you that a significant portion of big budget shows are spent, a significant, significant portion of that budget is spent on things that no one at home even notices. And so, you know, so much of the industry, and again, it's not me knocking it. I think it's great. And I think if you're, if you're somebody that's interested in it, God bless you, keep doing it. But 90% of this is just driven by the desire to have something new and different. And um, I'm, I'm, at the end of the day, I'm a content guy. You know, I, I, think, I think getting a show up with three cameras that wouldn't have been produced if you weren't there, getting a sport on that wouldn't have probably been able to get to TV if you couldn't offer a, a budget conscious way of doing it, um, is, is the achievement. That's the win for me. Um, you know, th- those are the moments that matter. So if you're just chasing technology, if you're just saying, oh, you know, we've got, we've got to get a 4k camera and then we've got to get an 8k camera and we've got to get this it, really all you're going to do is, is spend yourself into the ground. Um, there is always something better than what you have and right. who cares? Yeah. And even on that front, like I've learned, I, I, so I bought a drone last summer and it shoots in 4k and I'm leaning, yeah. I'm lo- looking at myself. I go, my computer can't even take a 4k footage. It just starts to freeze and lock up. I'm just going to keep shooting this in 1080. Having all that technology, if you don't know what to do with it, what's the point? Well, right. And, and, and the other side of the, the drone, depending on where you're using it, you know, um, drones aren't something that you're going to retire to the shelf because it lived a great life and it served you well. It's something you're going to crash inevitably. (laughs) You don't buy, you don't buy a second drone because the first drone was so great. You just needed something better. You buy a second drone because the first drone is now a pile of parts. Um, And and I haven't gotten there yet and I hope I don't get there, (laughs) but, but I did pretty quickly. (laughs) And uh, you know, don't, uh, my, my advice is uh, I guess it's harder now with real sense and all the technological advances they've made, but don't fly backwards. Um, that, that's the rule of thumb. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it, it really is. There, there are so many ways anything is possible in, in, from a technology standpoint now. Yeah. Look, look at what's happening right now with, with all of the work from home and, and COVID and, and all of the things that are going on in the industry right now. There are people working from home and doing shows from home that you never would have imagined that yeah. that being possible even six months ago. Yeah. Because the industry has been forced to adapt to the current situation. Figure it out. Um, and so you're you've got a lot of people that are going on air and doing things with equipment that was never, I don't want to say never intended, but not not immediately designed sure. to be doing what it's doing. Sure. You gotta find new ways to to put the, the round peg in the square hole and get it to fit in there enough that it works. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that, that's really great. I mean, I, you know, th- this whole, this whole, you know, current time, you know, has been terrible. It's been awful for the industry. It's been terrible for, for people, but the side of me that was first motivated in, in doing web stream is kind of reinvigorated by this because we've been solving problems again. I was going to say, and, that's what you guys have done best. Yeah. Been, yeah. It hasn't just been throwing money at things. It's been getting resourceful and saying, okay, you, you know, you, you landed on a, you, you've, you've landed on a deserted Island and here are the five things you have to work with. 
how are you going to make that radio, Mr. Professor? You know, and, and, and mm-hmm. that's the, you know, that's, that's where we are. And so that, that's been, I mean, that, that's been a blast. Yeah. Now I hope it ends soon. I hope everybody gets back to work and we get back to being profitable and seeing sports and doing, you know, enjoying all the things that we typically enjoy. But if there's a silver lining in all of this is I am having fun tinkering again. When, when you guys were really going strong at WebStream, did you ever foresee you guys having two up growing at the rate that you did and now being the Tupelo Raycom banner? Did you ever foresee that? Like, was that just all as Greg took the ball and ran with it? You just guys continually grew and you had the capacity. Like, yeah. I mean, back, back to, back to when it was me, back to when it was, was Rick and I, um, we were investing in the business every year. Okay. You know, it was never, it was never about money of of taking money out of the company. Um, and so really as we grew and again, a a ton of credit to Greg on that front because Greg got us ready to sell to Raycom. And again, we weren't, we weren't in a place where we were positioning to sell ourselves. Right. Um, we talked to a couple of, we talked to a couple of companies about doing some mergers and doing some things and they weren't us and it, and it didn't, it didn't fit. It didn't work. Uh, great companies, fine people, um, you know, frenemies to this day. Um, but not, uh, not a good fit. And when, when Raycom came calling Kerry Glotzer, who is, who is now my boss, uh, at, was at Tupelo Honey at the time, another Raycom company. When they came calling, it was one of those situations where for the first time it felt right from the jump. And I didn't do the first call. Um, I didn't do the first call with Carrie mainly because we'd just come off of one that that was just a waste of time. And and I kind of I said, Greg, you know, if you don't mind, man, I, I'm, I'm going to take a day off. Can you just can you handle that call? And when Greg hung up with Carrie, he called me immediately and said, this is real. This one is real. This is, this is us. This is you. You know, you're going to like this guy a lot. And I, I fell in love with Carrie and he, he is, he is everything you want in a boss. He's everything you want a partner. Um, and so it was, you know, it was amazing. And then, you know, then you meet the next, the next rung up, uh, at, at Raycom, the, the gentleman that, uh, at the time was number two and, and soon became uh, the CEO of Raycom, Pat LaPlatney, uh, who's now the co-CEO of Gray. Um, you know, you meet Carrie, you love Carrie, you meet Pat and you go, oh, well, Carrie's as good as he is because he's got a guy that's in the, that's, that's the same way. Right. You know, that, that is, that is visionary, but is also um, incredibly kind, uh, incredibly just good people. Um, genuine and, you know, sincere in, in everything and honest, you know, honest, even when the news is not good. Um, and so, you know, from those first conversations, it was like, man, you know, whatever it takes to make this work, I want to make this work. And, you know, the, the, the point for me became, it still wasn't about cashing in. Um, that, that part was, was great, no doubt. Um, but it really was, I had taken the company. I had bought Rick out at that point. He had, he retired. Um, I had taken the company as far as I could possibly take the company. And so you look, you look at 
a person like David Harris or Adam Coppinger or John Fritz or Andrea Crawford, you know, that group that's been there forever. You look at Greg Wiedekamp and you go, you know what? I can't give you guys what you're going to need going forward out of my own pocket anymore. This isn't going to work. You know, if we're going to grow, if we're going to go next level, we need somebody. And boy, are these the right people. And, you know, so that, that was absolutely, it's coming up on five years now that, that we did that. And that was, it was absolutely true. Um, I had a, I had a really good friend at Turner sports that, that gave me some advice on, on selling, you know, he basically said, you've got to be prepared that you could sell this thing and you could absolutely hate the new existence. And so in selling a company, you've got to be, you've got to be willing and understand that you may be walking away from that company because you may not be a great fit for them. They might not be a great fit for you. It's, It's a little bit like dating, you know? Uh, you may find out very quickly that what you thought was love was just infatuation and it may, it may fizzle very, very quickly. And I thought that I was right. Um, I waited, you know, the, the first year I, it was, it was a constant, okay, this is good. But every time there was a moment of even hesitation, you know, a moment of questioning, it was like, oh, is this going to be the, is this going to be the moment that I realized that this was a terrible idea? And every single time, Carrie, Pat, Paul McTeer, who ran Raycom, every single time the, the decision was right. And it was decisions of, you know, we need to build another truck. We need to increase our, our payroll. We need to do we need to do right by our people. And every time the answer was exactly what I thought the answer should be. Um, and it was genuine. It wasn't me arguing. It wasn't Carrie arguing. It was, yeah, you're right. That makes perfect sense. Grow this company. Do your thing. And so that, that comfort was, you know, amazing. And now we're, you know, a year, a year and a half, I guess, into gray, um, into being a, a gray company after, after gray television buys Raycom, um, publicly traded, you know, large broadcast company now, um, not having the benefit of, of being able to meet the people at the top uh, of the company before the sale. Um, you know, now being sold into it, you know, some of those same feelings of, oh, what's this going to be? And then realizing that the people that run Gray are just as good as the folks that ran Raycom. That's great. And, you know, being in the middle of, of this current pandemic and having your CEO openly, um, you know, stating we're going to take care of our people. You know, we got through the last crisis. We didn't lay anybody off. We didn't do we intend to do the same thing here. Um, you know, that's a, that's a publicly traded company that's still taking care of the people that work for them. And, and that is, is remarkable and just amazing. You've, you've shared some tidbits I had no ideas about. So I appreciate you, you giving me the look behind the curtain before I let you go. So I have to ask this because, and you may not even, you may not have a good answer. It may not entertain me, but I'm going to ask anyway. I have a memory and you guys weren't on this basketball game. I'm almost certain, but you talked about how, you know, sometimes during the live production, during the live sports, it's still the adrenaline, you know, five minutes before game time, you're expecting something to go wrong. You're just on pins and needles. I can remember we were in Cedar Falls, Iowa at the university of Northern Iowa for a basketball game. And this particular truck for this produce, this company that was doing the production, it was, it went dead. And we were about three minutes before tip off and 
we I don't really remember what exactly happened, except I know this has joined us in progress. They got a generator or something up and going and they joined us with that, you know, 1750 on the game clock in process. So we missed the tip off. And that was my first experience at the Valley, like of all everything we done. It all, Jack Watkins does what he can to make sure everything goes smoothly. He gives people like you the information that you need. He puts the people in contact with each other, but he can't control a production truck losing power. Neither can you, neither can I. But that's one memory that stands out is that game. It was Haywire. And I remember I had the headset on because I was doing official stats for that game. And for some reason, we could still talk to the people in the truck, but we were not sending out a signal for anyone to watch at home. And I'm hearing the ruckus in the truck in my headphones. And there were things being said that I will not repeat on this podcast. Um, but I'm curious to know for you, you said you've done it all. You, you always still you know, keep as involved as you can. Is there any one memory that stands out as the, the most sort of adventurous or nerve wracking production that you've uh, participated in, not counting a rain delay or weather issue, but is there anything that stands out that was, boy, that game was, that was chaotic getting that done. Um, a, a lot of them, to be honest. And, and, and I can tell you that, you know, that anybody that tells you that luck isn't a, a huge part of success or, or whatever your definition of success is, is lying. Um, I, I can tell you that there are a number of times that we've had a catastrophic failure five minutes after we went off air. Oh, <laughs> um, and, and that is, that's one of those where you, where you laugh and go, Oh, good Lord, let's figure out what that was. So that doesn't happen again. Um, you know, there, there were, there were a few, I remember, um, you know, one, one early on, we were, uh, we were on a generator and, uh, somebody had not turned on one of the, uh, air conditioners in the truck. And, you know, anybody that knows anything about power knows that uh, when you first turn an air conditioner on or, or like your refrigerator, right, when it first kicks that compressor on, it draws way more power than it does at any other time that it's operating. It's that initial, it's that initial draw that'll get you. And, and those bursts are not what generators are necessarily the best at handling. Um, so we were counting down to our open when the person reached up and turned the knob on the air conditioner and the whole truck went black. Oh boy. And it was like, Oh, okay. Um, you know, figure it out. So we're, we're running and, and scrambling and trying to get, you know, everything started back up. And, you know, the, the reality is, in that moment, you feel like like all time is just extended, right? Every every second feels like an hour. Yes. Um, <laughs> but w w once you once you kind of get to it, and once you've been doing it for for long enough, you never you never are happy that it happens. But it's one of those situations where it's just like anything else in life. It's just like anybody else's job. There are days when things don't go the right way. And you know, you've got good people around you and you come back to it when it isn't screaming at each other, it's screaming with each other and, and doing everything that you can as a group to right the wrong. Um, and, and we've gotten to the point where I think we're, we're a lot better at, at dealing with those things. And, and one of the pieces that I've learned and one of the pieces that I try and, you know, impress on the, the staff at, at every opportunity is do your job. And, you know, when everything is burning around you, 
The only way that you can make it worse is by trying to do something that isn't your job, is by trying to fix something else, and then your job suffers as a result. So trust the people around you. No show is any better than the weakest person on the crew. That's always been the case. Um, you're not going to have a you're not going to have a great show if you can't trust the person next to you to do what they're what they're there to do. And so you you gotta you gotta do it. And if you know that they're if you know that they're weak and there's something you can do from your chair to make them better to help them along, that's great. Um, but especially in those times of in those times of struggle, you gotta you gotta be better at your job than you've ever been because that's what's keeping you afloat at, at that moment. And, you know, so, so fortunately I, I can't think of a, I, I can't really think of a ton of them. I mean, I can tell you that, you know, you don't want to have of, a ton of them, hopefully. Right. No, I mean. you don't, you don't, but every, but everybody does. Yeah. But, but I think, I think part of it has just become that, that they're so, they used to bother me so much and I used to get so angry and, and nervous about them. And, and now they're kind of water under the bridge sure. because it's, it's things that it's things that happen. And I can tell you just a, a few weeks ago at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, you know, I got a phone call. We were, we were doing planning for a, a political show that I, that I work on as a technical producer. And we were doing planning that, you know, what happens if, you know, we have to have a studio shut down, you know, how do we, how do we deal with, how will we do this from home? And, you know, this is before I think anybody on, on networks or, or the cable nets were doing these at homes. Um, got a call very, very late Friday night that I honestly didn't even answer because it was so late Friday night. Woke up Saturday morning to a, a voicemail that the studio we were going to work in on Saturday was closed. And uh, they had had a, a presumptive positive test and they weren't going to allow anybody in. And so, you know, you, you have mere hours to figure out how you're going to do a show from your host's home. And, and it is that, it is that desert Island thing that I you know mentioned earlier. It's yeah. okay. Well, what do we have at the house? And, you know, luckily we had enough at the house. I had put some stuff at the house um, for other reasons, but had put some stuff at the house so that she could do some work from home. And we strung together enough and, and pulled enough, bubble gum and, and tape together <laughs> to, to make the thing work. And then we've been doing it for, I don't know, it, that was mid-March. That was March 14th. Yeah. So we've been doing it since, oh. we've been doing it six weeks now. Yeah. Um, out of her house. We're now doing nightly shows out of her house. Um, and each week it gets a little better. Each day it gets a little better and, and we improve. And that's really all you can do. I mean, that's what everybody's trying to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like you gave me a bunch of uh, words of wisdom that I could share with people here. Hopefully they, they take some of your, uh, it's not screaming at you, it's screaming with you. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Well, I, sometimes I think that's me That's me trying to convince somebody that I'm not screaming. At you. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's okay. that, that may be a, a big part of it. I promise I'm not screaming at you. I'm screaming with you. You're just not loud enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lesson I learned as well. I think that might've been, that might've been my first year I was on headset with an ESPN crew and they were trying to figure out something. And I thought I was being helpful. And I said, Hey, you know, I've got this on my computer. I can send it to you. He goes, shut up. Just don't do that. We don't need that now. And it was like, Oh, okay. never mind. I won't. You, you know, <laughs> one of the things that, that somebody told me, I, I used to, I used to scream a lot and I, and I still have my moments, but I used to be a screamer in the truck and there, and TV trucks are notorious for them. There are screamers yeah. all over the place. And somebody pulled me aside at one point and said, you know, the people that scream are the people that are least confident in what they're doing. And I was like, wow, 
Yeah. You know what? Yeah, you're right. And, and, and I realized, you know, honestly, the part of the reason I was screaming is it was, it was just, just in response to pressure yeah. and it was in response to pressure that I was putting on myself that I'm not sure anyone else was putting on me. Yeah. Um, and you know, so it, there, there are moments where you look at it, you, you take the, you take the, the big picture, uh, Adam Coppinger, who I've, I've mentioned a few times, you know, will always break those moments by saying, Hey gang, we get paid to watch sports. How cool is that? There you go. And it's like, you know, you, you get that little, that moment, that delivered message and you go, yeah, that's right. You know, there, there are people on assembly lines. There are people at offices that would absolutely kill to have the opportunity that we, that we have every day. And man, don't take yourself too seriously. You're not curing cancer. You're not saving the world. You're just making TV. 